Hello, I'm Robert Royal, and these are the Catholic Thing podcasts. The Catholic Thing is a daily series of columns of uh, 1,000 words, which you can read very briefly and you can subscribe to for free. Um, you just need to go to www.thecatholicthing.org, and it will come into your email uh, inbox every morning, 365 days a year. We have one of our regular TCT writers with us today, uh, Michael Pekalik, who is a philosopher and a professor of philosophy at the Catholic University of America here in Washington, D.C. Michael, it's great to have you with us this morning. It's really great to be here, Bob. Michael, I want to uh, just uh, for the sake of some of our viewers and our listeners who don't know about the controversy that has arisen this week. We're recording on the 20th, I believe, of uh, January 2024. Um, there's a controversy that's arisen in Rome over a book that's been rediscovered by the current prefect, the head of the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith, which is to say the most uh, authoritative and the highest level of doctrinal definition in the Roman Catholic Church, and his name is Cardinal uh, uh, Victor Manuel Fernandez. Um, the book is called La Pasión Mística, Mystical Passion in Spanish, and it came out in the 1990s, and it contains a number of quite graphic sexual comments. Could you, just for the sake of um, helping our readers who aren't already familiar with this, uh, this controversy. Just tell us a bit about the book and how you view it. The book came out in 1998. Uh, Fernandez was uh, 36 years old at the time. He had published many scholarly articles. He was a mature, well-established theologian. So it's not some kind of uh, thing that he threw off when he was a, a teenager or something like that. And, um, he has never disowned it or disclaimed it. He said he wouldn't uh, print it now because it would be misunderstood, but he hasn't um, rejected it or attempted to uh, refute it or distance himself from its teachings. And it has, um, it's basically its view is that the sexual, sex, sexual desire is inherently ecstatic in a spiritual way towards God. And that orgasm is uh, an intense ecstasy, which uh, in a baptized person uh, can be, uh, maybe is typically um, an act of ad worship of God. It's, it's really wacky. And um, people who, re and it also is very, very, as you say, it's graphic. It describes sexual organs, states of arousal, uh, states of sexual organs after intercourse in a way that, you know, when Augustine, for example, discusses sex before the fall, it's very discreet. He apologizes for talking about it and subsequent translators, as you know, usually put it into Latin. And when Pope John Paul II in Love and Responsibility talks about the marital act as a reflection of the one body unity of husband and wife, he does talk about um, climax and he says that more as a counsel to the man uh, to, to, be, uh, to be selfless, uh, that the, the climax of the husband and wife um, to represent the one, one flesh unity is ideally uh, simultaneous. But he says it in a sentence and very discreetly and within the context of marriage with sound theological, theological significance. For Fernandez, it's, it's completely different. He views sex, you might want to say autonomously, 
as having a mystical and spiritual dimension. And there's no uh, discussion of marriage or the one flesh unity of marriage. In fact, he's, he seems to be, um, wants to say that this kind of mystical experience could take place between uh, people who are not married and even homosexuals. Yeah, you know, uh, let me just say some people who want to defend um, both the Cardinal and the book, even granting that there was a moment when he, he thought it was okay to do this, point to the, the mystical tradition, even the Bible, you know, the Song of Songs, there's a kind of a, uh, I would say, symbolic use of of the love of a man and a woman for the um, the love of God for us and our love of God. There are, you know, efforts to invoke St. Teresa of Avila, the great Spanish mystic. There's a famous Bernini uh, sculpture of her in the Church of Our Lady of Vic Victory in Rome that kind of shows her in ecstasy, uh, 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 St. Teresa of Avila in ecstasy. Where is, what is the difference that you, you, you've kind of touched on it, but could you play that out a little bit further for us? That difference between the, the mystical tradition that does refer to sex and the way that this book was written. It's the difference between good sense and bad judgment. Um, teenage, uh, teenagers will go into that church in Rome and they'll point to the statue of Bernini and say, oh, ha, ha, look, she's, you know, she's having an orgasm. Um, that's not what's going on. No one with mature judgment who knows uh, mystical theology would say anything like that. That's actually almost a blasphemy. And I've read a lot of St. Teresa of Avila. I don't see anything like this in her writings. Um, it's, it, it's in the Song of Songs, it's a, it's a celebration of the beauty of the human body. And it's presumed that the man and the woman are um, either uh, espoused or they're, they're courting uh, with a view towards getting married. Uh, the, the intentions are good. That's what people used to say. The man's intentions are good. They're not to possess her outside of marriage. So this, the, the Fernandez work comes out of a, you might say, a worldly view of sex, where there's a sex urge and a, and a life of sexuality. And as he said in his uh, document on blessing, that the sex urge finds its full fulfillment in marriage. But that's not the correct way of looking at it. That's not a Catholic way of looking at it. Catholic way of looking at it is that um, the sexual act is called the marital act that it has its meaning and significance in an action that's open to procreate, procreation between husband and wife who are joined indissolubly for life, and that all other sex acts are kind of fallings away from this. They're declensions from the true sex act. So every you know, the sound Catholic sensibility always looks at sex in relationship to marriage. Yeah, I was struck when I read the book that there was no reference whatever to... Um, to, to the procreative uh, element in um, in sexuality, it's as if it's as if sexuality kind of exists in some isolated field, which is primarily dominated by the de desire for uh, a unified pleasure, um, rather than that larger Catholic understanding of what sexuality is for, if we can actually put it that way. And I, I want to ask you because you are. Uh, a very astute, not only observer uh, um, in, in a human sense, but also a very acute philosopher. Um, some theologians have said that they believe that there's this kind, you called it an ide fix in the article you wrote about, uh, the, uh, you wrote yesterday in the Catholic thing about this, this book. Um, but some theologians have said that this kind of obsession 
um, may even help to, for us to account for some of the, the stranger, seemingly heterodox things that are said in Amoris Laetitiae, um, the, the controversial encyclical that the Pope wrote that seemed to allow um, communion for divorced and remarried people, as well as in as, as this paradigm shift that we've seen um, that the Holy Father is looking for in theology and this so-called development in blessings, which include the blessings of homosexual couples. What's your reaction to that contention by theologians, by philosophers and theologians that this this uh, seeming obsession with uh, with orgasm um, has theological and philosophical principles. It lies behind those theological and, and philosophical principles. Well, I first want to say that uh, every mature person is going to have a certain kind of um, uh, reductionist view of, a, of an orgasm. Uh, Plato, um, in one of his dialogues, describes it as similar to lancing a boil. I mean, it's clearly a physical process where something is kind of pent up and then released, and it produces a lot of pleasure. And in that sense, it's kind of humdrum. I mean, the, the, really, the burden of proof is on the person who wants to say this is some kind of great spiritual thing. It's like a crack cocaine. It's, it's pleasure. In fact, all the great uh, doctors of the church looked at the pleasure of orgasm with a certain kind of suspicion because it's the potential of actually just losing your rationality and, and maybe sinning because you're losing your rationality. So there's a certain kind of, I want to say, just childishness about it. And can I be plain? Every every father and mother I've spoken with who's, who know about this book would say they wouldn't they wouldn't hire this guy to teach CCD in the, in, the, in their high school never mind be the pre prefect for the whole of, of doctrine for the whole church it's it's disturbed it's cre it's creepy and it's wacky and it's disordered and it's unbalanced every person of mature sensibility who reads this book has that judgment now when Amoris Laetitia came out there were some odd things in it that's when I did research on um, Fernandez's writings. I went through his articles and I searched in particular for CCC 1735. That's the, um, the line about imputability of actions. And I found um, you know, half a dozen articles which use that line in the catechism in the same way. It's I say this, uh, that I did the search you know, um, now almost 10 years ago because you actually can't find these articles now if you go to the, um, the Catholic University of um, Buenos Aires in Argentina any longer. You cannot find them. They're, you, they're, they're, they're not accessed. I, I, gave, uh, I gave links, in some of the links I gave to my own Dropbox uh, for the Catholic thing readers to get these articles. I couldn't get them from interlibrary loan. They're not listed in my computer. And similarly, it's pretty odd that, that I, I sent for a copy, interlibrary loan for a copy of this book on mystical passion. There's not a single copy of this book in any North American library. How does that happen? Because no matter how how bad your book is, you know how many how few copies it sold, it's going to end up in some library somewhere. It's not a single copy in any North American library. It's, it, that's kind of also very suspicious and strange, at least. So anyway, yeah, you know, I, I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, let, let, I, me, well, let me because you're, you're touching on something that is I find very curious because uh, Cardinal Fernandez has said recently because this has caused such a great furor that there, he's had to respond to it in public, but that he said that the Pope knew about that book and presumably he knew about these other writings as well, which as you rightly show in your article with links and, and people who are interested can go to your article uh, about this uh, this idea fix of uh, 
Cardinal uh, Fernand, now Cardinal Fernandez is. I mean, you, the, the Holy Father knew about this, and you mentioned how parents wouldn't want their children to be in the CCD class with him. But there's even a notorious uh, episode in which he says that he he had spoken with a 16 year old girl who kind of spoke about a very creepy. Um, physical relationship with Jesus as Mary looked on. I, I too think that this, that you, a, a person who's of sound judgment would be very hesitant to appoint a person like this to such a high position, let, let alone other positions. He was held up and being named the rector of the Catholic University in Argentina. Um, what are we to make of the fact that this is the man who now is making the major decisions, writing the major documents for the entire Catholic Church. It, it's uh, it's horrific, in my view, and uh, deeply disturbed. By the way, we have it only on Fernandez's word that uh, Pope Francis knew about this book before he proved of it. So we don't we don't know that from Pope Francis. Um, I, I'm hesitant to, to, you know, to attribute any judgments to Pope Francis. We, we know that uh, 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 twisted people like Father Maciel are very good at uh, drawing others in. They, Father Maciel drew in John Paul II and had him completely hoodwinked. So I, I, I definitely um, think that's a possibility here. I'm not, I'm not discounting that. But the, the, the idea fix, which I refer to, it's really two ideas. It's really they play on each other. One is this uh, mystical elevation of mere uh, sex urges and orgasm, which is disturbed. But the other is uh, the diminution, the, the e willingness to uh, to disclaim or diminish anyone's responsibility for sexual sins. So th that's the de fix, actually, which I had in mind. 1735, the Catechism, people can look it up. It says that imputability of human action can be diminished or even nullified on account of ignorance, inadvertence, fear. Um, it mentions a few other things. Now, that's a really mixed list, and I take it to refer to the church's tra tradition of commentary on moral responsibility. You can't just read that in isolation. And the standard Catholic view, the traditional Catholic view, is that the only condition which nullifies responsibility is non-culpable ignorance of particulars. You are responsible if you claim that you do not know the basic moral law of the Ten Commandments, because that's written on the human heart, and as St. Paul said, they are without excuse. And you are responsible if you think that you can't keep the Ten Commandments, because as the Council of Trent taught, it's in our all of our ability to keep the Ten Commandments if we love God, and that if we find it impossible to do that, it's because of vices that we've acquired and we're responsible for. So this is the teaching of the church. And uh, so, but Fernandez just takes that 1735 and he applies it uh, indiscriminately, actually discriminately, only to sexual sins. He's not going to say that somebody who's a serial murderer might be a saint for all that we know, or one of these priests who's uh, you know uh, embezzling hundreds of thousands of dollars from his parish might be a saint. It's only sexual sins that get, get this kind of special treatment. We saw that in Amoris Laetitia, it's only a sexual sins, it's nothing else. Um, that's the real issue, because now you have this kind of this potent but deeply misguided view of sexuality as a source of spiritual insight, together with this willingness to cut everybody slack when they're committing serious sexual sins. That's a terrible, terrible, terrible combination. Yeah, well, I thought, I mean, it's it's funny in a kind of gruesome way that he says if a homosexual couple have a, have a mystical experience, it doesn't necessarily cure them of their homosexuality. It takes the, the non-imputability even to that, to that stage. 
Listen, we're, we're getting near the end of our time, but I want you to speculate a little bit because we just heard in recent days, I think this is, is uh, attempting to divert attention a little bit, but we've, we've heard from Cardinal Fernandez that he starts, he's writing a document that is going to reply to a number of current moral questions, things like surrogacy, which the Holy Father has spoken uh, out against recently, about gender ideology, about the whole phenomenon of trans, so-called trans people. What do you expect? I'm going to ask you to go out on a limb. I know philosophers don't like to do this. It's not a logical inference, but what do you expect um, might be in that document? And what would you hope would be there? Well, it's not very good when the prefect of the dicastery for the doctrine of faith says this will this will put you at ease. He's writing a document, presumably, to try to counterbalance something that he sees as already very disturbing to people. That's not a proper motive for writing any kind of church teaching. It, 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 it already raises suspicions, as you said, of some kind of diversion or kind of take the heat off of him. Let's look at a more Laetitia. It's eight chapters. The eighth chapter is the one that everyone found problematic. Chapters one through seven. Is anybody studying that? Does anybody find it particularly edifying? I think it was Ross Dothad who at the beginning said that looks like it was just a lead up for chapter eight. And uh, that's the only thing that the only role that it played. Um, I, I do not have high expectations. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, our, our time is done at this point. Michael, thank you for being with us. Um, I, I want to encourage everyone uh, listening or watching uh, to read Michael. Michael writes for us regularly, but he writes in other places. He's written some extraordinary commentaries on um, the New Testament, the Gospels, um, especially the role of Mary in, um, in conveying information to us through the New Testament. So, Michael, thank you. Um, this is going to be a busy year, 2024, and we're only still in the first few weeks of it. So we'll probably be seeing you back here before long. And let me just say again, thank you all of you who are watching and listening. Uh, and I'd like to just say again, uh, please do subscribe to The Catholic Thing. I think you'll be very happy that you do. We try to bring you um, not only the, the, the most uh, controversial things that are going on in the, in the news, of course, we do that. But we also try to bring to you some of the deeper understanding of the Catholic Church, which is very much needed, Catholic Church and Catholic teaching um, in our time in which there is so much confusion and controversy and angst and even anger. So uh, these are the Catholic Thing podcasts, and we'll look forward to being with you next time.